0: The Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, that was fun. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Kansas City Chiefs by 18 points on Sunday Night Football since the last time you and I have talked. And there have been quite a few narratives to come out of that game that we are going to touch on today. One of which is that if you look around the league and the talking heads of the league and the NFL media and the journalists and the analysts and all the people whose job it is to opine on professional football, you're going to hear a lot of positive Buffalo Bills buzz. When you win big games like that, that's what happens. When you beat the Kansas City Chiefs, that's what happens. A lot of the Justin Herbert for MVP buzz happened after the Los Angeles Chargers defeated the Kansas City Chiefs. That's part of it. It's just par for the course. And I say that to defend one of the long time Bruce talking points, which is there is no global conspiracy to disrespect the Buffalo Bills. When you're good, you get talked of positively. And when you're bad, you get talked of negatively. And when you're mediocre and boring, sometimes you don't get talked about at all. It's just part of what happens. There is no grand scheme. The Bills have been good for a couple years now, and guess what? They're starting to get the publicity that a lot of people were demanding that they get when they weren't good. There is no global conspiracy. At some point, we have to let go of that. Hopefully, this is a time for us to do it. One of the reasons why it was so important for the Buffalo Bills to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, in my opinion, was because we wanted to avoid another circumstance where there was a boogeyman. And every decision that your franchise makes and every maneuver and every talking point is about how do we get out from underneath the shadow that's been cast upon this franchise? How do we beat the boogeyman? How do we stop having him show up in our nightmares? If you've ever seen the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Avengers Endgame, you will know that the Avengers grand plan is to go back in time and stop Thanos from originally collecting the necessary infinity stones to be able to implement his dastardly plan. We could have an entire discussion on the intricacies of time travel in that movie, but we're not going to for the purposes of this podcast. Maybe some other time when it's more convenient. But the point was, their method of stopping the boogeyman was to stop him from becoming the boogeyman. As Buffalo Bills fans, we already had a boogeyman for 20 years. We had a boogeyman in our division, and it was the New England Patriots. The New York Jets actually won the division during the Patriots dynasty. The Miami Dolphins actually didn't lose to Tom Brady all that often relative to the Buffalo Bills during the Patriots dynasty. But for the Buffalo Bills... This Patriots dynasty was different. It was a different level of boogeyman. Not only did the Bills never win the division, but also they consistently lost to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots over and over and over and over again. And every decision and every time and every draft and every free agency and every offseason, it was what are they going to do to beat the Patriots? It was the boogeyman. It infected the franchise. It infected the fan base. You can't tell me that the coaching staff and players on a lot of those drought teams didn't feel that pressure. Didn't feel that we got to clear past the Patriots. We got to stop the boogeyman. The best way possible to stop the boogeyman is to stop them from becoming the boogeyman. That's why it was important for the Buffalo Bills to beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night. This entire offseason, the narrative was, did the Bills get better to beat the Chiefs? What are the Bills going to do to beat the Chiefs? If the Bills lose to Kansas City in the regular season and then go on and lose to them again in the playoffs, that narrative grows louder. Well, yeah, but can they beat the Chiefs? Well, yeah, but have they done enough? Are they going to be the Peyton Manning Indianapolis Colts who consistently run into the New England Patriots in the playoffs? Is it going to be a problem for this franchise during an era that would otherwise be full of joy that comes along with this team's success? The best way to stop the boogeyman is to stop them from ever becoming the boogeyman. And now... The Bills, if they were to face the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, because let's be honest, that might not necessarily happen. The Chiefs could be a wild card at this point. They could struggle to make the playoffs. You never know. They're two and three at this point with a pretty bad defense. If they come in as a wild card, they might not make it to the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs. But if they were to face the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs, there's not going to be this thing hanging over the Bills where, oh, we just can't beat them. It's a hurdle we just can't get over. That doesn't exist because you didn't squeak by them. When the Buffalo Bills beat the New England Patriots, when Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback, throwing to Stevie Johnson, when that happened, it still felt a little bit fluky. There was a couple tipped interceptions. They won on a last-second field goal. I don't think the Demons were actually properly exercised when that happened. The Bills beat the Chiefs by 18 points. They beat them fairly soundly. It was a comfortable victory from the team standpoint, even if it wasn't necessarily comfortable watching it from the couch. This was a we are better than you victory. This was not a we were the better team this game. There's a difference between in any given Sunday victory and in any Sunday victory. Not, I can beat you any given Sunday. Hey, any given Sunday, anything can happen. Versus, I will beat you every Sunday. Because I'm just better than you. I will beat you any Sunday. That's the difference between any given Sunday and any Sunday. And any given Sunday victory is, hey, you know what? Football's a game of luck. Random ball bounces. The ball's oblong. You never know. Anybody can beat anybody. And any Sunday victory is, I will beat you anytime you want to go, because we're better than you. That's the difference between the Bills beating the Patriots on a last-second field goal when Ryan Fitzpatrick's the quarterback, and the Buffalo Bills beating the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. It's completely different in my mind. And I, for one, am glad that we got a, not only a victory, but an any Sunday victory instead of an any given victory. Sunday victory. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got some narratives to dive into. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So we talked about stopping Kansas City from becoming the boogeyman and how the Bills' victory over them was an any Sunday victory, not an any given Sunday victory. So what was the difference between last year with two losses and this year? I jotted down a couple things. Number one, Josh Allen was better. Obviously, obviously, obviously. When the leader of your team is better, then obviously that's going to give you a better chance of winning the game. I understand that it's fairly simplistic, but it's true. The defensive line was better in the pass game and in the run game. One of the things we talked about when the Buffalo Bills drafted Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham back-to-back was the Bills are trying to get Better pressure with four on Patrick Mahomes because that's what they saw happen to him in the Super Bowl. Here's what we didn't necessarily think of that I probably should have mentioned. If your front four is better in the run game, you can play the same strategy. You can play a similar game to the game that you played the previous year but have it more effective because Clyde Edwards-Alaire isn't going to drop 150 on you. You can rush four. You can play the linebackers off. You can have them retreating at the snap and not get gashed in the run game. You can use the effectiveness to make up for the bodies. The effectiveness of the front four will allow you to not have to allocate the body resources to stopping the run and be able to use that to flood Passing lanes. Taryn Johnson and Tyreek Hill was a fun battle on Sunday. Bet you didn't think you were going to have newly signed and newly extended nickel corner Taryn Johnson show up on Tyreek Hill, but I think he did a really, really good job. Saran Neal played 33 snaps, which is way more than typical. They got real physical with Travis Kelsey and the Bills were better against four strong formations. Four strong is four eligible receivers to one side of the quarterback. You're doing this specifically to mess up zone coverage. You're trying to flood the zone with people. And then if you want to switch to man, to stop that from happening, then we have people like Travis Kelsey and people like Tyreek Hill who can beat your man coverage. So one of the things in the offseason we talked about that will help with being able to handle Kansas City is being able to find a corner who's better in man coverage. And it's absolutely true. Or you could play better in zone coverage, which is what we saw the Buffalo Bills do on Sunday. They had a better plan. They were better communicators. They were better at passing off routes against formations that are designed to stress zone coverage and make you go to man. We're going to make you Go to man. And the Bulls were like, no, we don't have to. We're not required to go to man because we're playing the zone coverages really effectively. One of the other things that was different in this game is Zach Moss was effective. And we need to talk about Zach Moss. And we're going to do that right now. I'm going to start with a conclusion and then I'm going to go back and give the reasoning. I'm going to Tarantino this stuff. I know that the Buffalo Bills do not have a workhorse running back. I made an argument this offseason that they're probably never going to have a workhorse running back unless it's by necessity under the Sean McDermott coaching staff. It's just not something that they intrinsically believe in. But if you want to consider our running backs, RB1A and RB1B, if you're not real comfortable with RB1 and RB2, Zach Moss should be RB1A moving forward. And I'll tell you why. You might look at the gaudy 5.2 yards per carry from Devin Singletary and 4.0 from Zach Moss and go, Bruce, what are you talking about? And I would help you with that. I would help you with some context behind yards per carry. Zach Moss is 10th in the NFL in rushing success rate. Devin Singletary is 21st in the NFL in rushing success rate. One of the reasons why yards per carry can be deceptive is that if you have running backs who are consistently getting the carries on short yardage and goal line situations, they're not going to have a significant yards per carry. The other thing to take into context is that we've talked about before that one of the main determiners of rushing success is how many men are in the box. So let's take a look at that. Zach Moss is 10th in NFL rushing success rate, as we mentioned. As a reminder, success rate is determined by the percentage of your plays that get enough yardage toward the first down to be considered a success. If you are third or fourth down, a success is get the conversion. If you are first or second down, first down is 45% of what's necessary to get the yard to gain. So four and a half yards on first down, that'd be good if it's first and 10. Second down, it's 65% and then third and fourth down, it's hundred percent of whatever is necessary. That's what determines whether or not a rush is a success. Because if you get 10 yards on third and 20, that's not a success. If you get a running back draw play on third and 18, that picks up nine yards. Congratulations, your yards per carry probably went up, but that play wasn't a success. It's one of the reasons you need the context of rushing success rate. So if Zach Moss is 10th in the NFL and Devin Singletary is 21st in the NFL, well, Bruce, let's find some context. Zach Moss rushes against stacked fronts 19.6% of the time. Devin Singletary rushes against stacked fronts 3.6% of the time. So Zach Moss is running against more difficult boxes and more difficult run defense looks, and he's more successful than Devin Singletary. He's getting the yards better than Devin Singletary against a more difficult front. He's playing the game on a harder difficulty level and getting a higher score. Top five highest broken tackle rates in the NFL. Miles Sanders, Zach Moss, Christian McCaffrey, Javante Williams, who's RB1 by the way, Chris Carson. Those are the top five highest broken tackle rates of all the running backs in the NFL. That seems good. Number two, Zach Moss seems good. In addition, we've already established that Zach Moss is a very good pass blocker. I'm not saying Devin Singletary is a bad player. I like Devin Singletary. I think Zach Moss should be RB1A moving forward. We will see if that actually happens, but I think it should. Moving on. Breakout watch is upon us. Let's talk about Dawson Knox. Specifically, I want to connect Dawson Knox to Cole Beasley. I do think that the slight dip in production and usage of Cole Beasley is mostly related to Dawson Knox. Last year, Dawson Knox played six games where he had double-digit snaps from the slot. He's already had four out of the five games this year where he's played double-digit snaps from the slot. When you toss in the fact that you can get seven to nine snaps from the slot from Emmanuel Sanders, you see this starts to slowly dip into Cole Beasley a little bit. I'm not saying he's phased out of the offense. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he's on pace for 700 yards instead of 900 yards. And I think that that slight dip in usage is really mostly related to Dawson Knox and having somebody they like in Emmanuel Sanders who has the slot versatility. So Dawson Knox went from being someone who needs to be upgraded to somebody who started playing double-digit snaps in the slot in the back half of 2020 and just kept right on chugging into 2021. Got the faith of the coaching staff. So I don't think there's anything to panic on Cole Beasley, but I bring it up in regards to Dawson Knox. I think you can get a skill set from Dawson Knox that you can't get elsewhere on the roster, and in specific games that may be more valuable. Cody Ford, nothing to really talk about. Got benched, stay benched. Ed Oliver, one of the things I think is interesting about Ed Oliver is that I'm starting to notice a little bit of a trend, and that is. The times when Ed Oliver starts to show up on tape in a negative way are usually when he's losing his double teams. Early in the Kansas City games, there were a couple snaps where he was losing his double teams. And that's where the size deficiencies start to show up. But a lot of times, if you single team Ed Oliver, he's going to make a play. I think the Star Latule thing was not just a narrative we told ourselves to keep warm at night this offseason. I don't think it was something that Bills Mafia concocted themselves as a pacifier for Ed Oliver. I think having someone across from Ed Oliver as a fellow defensive tackle who does not allow you to constantly double team Ed Oliver is pretty valuable. And I think that the Star Latule situation has really opened up a lot of Bills Mafia's eyes to how important it is to have someone who commands double teams on the inside of the interior defensive line. Because if you single-team Ed Oliver, that's when some of his best plays show up. And when you double-team Ed Oliver, that's when some of his worst plays show up. Now, you can decide later on what type of money you want to pay a player like that because the same conversation we're having right now about Tremaine Edmonds, we're going to have that same conversation about Ed Oliver probably next year. Okay, so we, we extended his fifth-year option. Now, are we going to resign him? What kind of money are you going to pay him? We're going to have that conversation. Tremaine Edmonds continues to play fast. Sideline to sideline speed and length can lessen the perimeter danger that players like Tyreek Hill and Miko Hardman have on your defense. But another thing I want to point out in regards to Tremaine Edmonds is that the Buffalo Bills played cover two against the Kansas City Chiefs 51% of the time. 51% of the time. Well, Bruce, why does everyone just play cover two against the Kansas City Chiefs? Because you gotta have the horses to be able to do that. Tremaine Edmonds is the kind of cover two linebacker that you can pull that off with. You need an athletic linebacker. Length is helpful. Clogging throwing lengths is helpful. Being able to carry Travis Kelsey down a seam is helpful. Being able to take away windows or at least cause Patrick Mahomes to pull the ball down and move on to his next read is valuable. Again, traits give you options. Tremaine Ammons has them. Bills were able to take advantage of the fact that he has them to be able to do something against Kansas City that necessitates you have an athletic middle linebacker. Back when Cover 2 and Tampa 2 were all the rage, everybody wanted to find their Brian Urlacher because they knew that traits give you options. That there was a preferential defense at that time that teams wanted to run and that if you had the appropriate talent, you could do it. The Bills have the appropriate talent. So that's the part I want to bring up about Tremaine Evans this week is that his traits gave the team options. You can't run cover two 51% of the time if Preston Brown is your middle linebacker. You can't do it. Tremaine's traits gave the team options. Plurality pie for the Buffalo Bills' victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Josh Allen, 31%. Taron Johnson, 19%. That's right, the newly inked Taron Johnson. When the Buffalo Bills played the Kansas City Chiefs In the regular season of the 2020 regular season, Taron Johnson got benched. Cam Lewis started the game. Before the Kansas City Chiefs game against the Buffalo Bills in the regular season in 2021, he was signed to an extension. A lot can happen in a year. Maybe we just shouldn't be quite as crazy with our takes. I understand that might not make things as exciting, but a lot can change. In a year. When Taron Johnson was struggling, I tweeted out something. I said, it was during the Titans game. I said, we need to talk about Taron Johnson. And a bunch of people just said, just cut him. Cut him. He sucks. Cut him. Players do develop. We do have a tendency to make these extreme swings one way or another. But a lot can change in a year. So Taron Johnson, 19%. Gregory Rousseau, 12%, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. I mentioned, when you have a player who can play the run that well, you can get away with the same rough game plan, obviously not the same, but the same idea that you're going to rush for and not blitz. You can pull that off. Gregory Rousseau's ability to help the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs is not just because he's a better pass rusher, it's also because he's a better run defender. And when you do that, you can pull off the same game plan in general without getting a billion rushing yards dropped on you. I think it's an underrepresented narrative when it comes to the Gregory Rousseau pick. And I think it's important to bring it up because this is where it kind of manifested itself. Gregory Rousseau, 12%. Leslie Frazier, 11%. Made the appropriate adjustments without overdoing it. I love the fact that the Bills didn't try to lean into something they can't do. You know what? We're going to man up on the Kansas City Chiefs. You don't have the horses to do that. I mentioned that after the AFC Championship game. You do not have the horses to man up with the Kansas City Chiefs. And guess what? They didn't go get the horses in the offseason to man up against the Kansas City Chiefs. So they didn't try to be something they weren't. They just tried to do the thing that they want to do better. And they did. So good for them. Tremaine Evans, 9%. Already talked about it. Other, 18%. Josh Allen, 31%. Taryn Johnson, 19%. Gregory Rousseau, 12%. Leslie Frazier, 11%. Tremaine Evans, 9%. Other, 18%. Ladies and gentlemen, plurality pie. We did it. We've got a couple emails to get to to close out today's episode. Brandon says, Hey, Bruce. I appreciate your insight and dedication to film study, so I'd appreciate your thoughts on something. It seems to me that in the Chiefs game, the Bills' defensive line focused more on contain than sacking Mahomes. I can think of a couple plays where instead of rushing in for a potential sack, the Bills' defenders just made sure Mahomes couldn't escape to the outside. I don't think Mahomes was able to handle not being able to break things outside to make a play, and that hurt the Kansas City offense. Not sure if my observation is correct, though, so I thought I'd run it by the smartest Bills fan I can think of. Regards, Brandon. Okay, Brandon. Brandon. I think your idea that the Bills rushed from a compression standpoint is accurate. I don't think it was just necessarily to contain him. I just think that they were mindful during their pass rush patterns and during their pass rush plans that we're not going to do any crazy stunts. We're not going to try and dip inside the times when Jerry Hughes dipped inside and lost contain, Patrick Mahomes went out the back end and made a play. I think it's simply a matter of making sure that your rush plan is... Gap sound. When you're rushing Ben Roethlisberger, you don't have to worry about as much. When it's Patrick Mahomes and people who run the scramble drill as well as Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill do, then you don't want to give him an option to extend the play. And I don't think it's necessarily you rush with the idea that you're just going to contain him. You still want to get to him. You're just not willing to do whatever it takes to get to him. I still want to get to you. I still want to sack you. But I'm not willing to do X, Y, and Z in my pursuit of the sack. And I think that's wise, quite frankly, because containment was a big problem for the Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs last year. Evan has a crazy take again. Bills get 40 points. I'm not as ambitious as the self-loathing Titans fan on Reddit who is calling for Allen to hang 60-plus on Tennessee. Defense continues to be impressive and holds the Titans to less than 11 before garbage time. Special teams continues to have issues. Mackenzie muffs a punt or a kickoff and Stevenson gets a shot after the bye week. Mitchell Trubisky impresses in the fourth quarter. John Schneider tries to trade for him over the bye week after reports surface that Russell Wilson's injury is worse than thought. Brandon Bean asked him, with what draft picks, John, who do you think I am, a pancake eater? And flips him to Carolina instead for three firsts. It really wouldn't be an episode of Bruce exclusive during the regular season if we didn't have a ridiculous take from Evan, right? I mean, it's kind of tradition at this point. Chris says, Hi, Bruce. I really like Tremaine Edmonds, but I'm not sure we can afford to pay him. Not that he doesn't deserve a monster contract. I just can't imagine his likely contract numbers match up with the Bills' needs. What is the backup plan if not Edmonds? Okay, we're going to talk about this a lot this offseason, I'm sure. But I think that when you look at the Buffalo Bills cap situation for next year, one of the things you may have to think about is Williams and Feliciano or Edmonds because both those contracts can be gotten out of with some savings. Now, it's probably not identical to the first year cap number of Tremaine Edmonds, but a lot of these vet contracts are structured as such to keep that from being a problem so that you can get out from vet contracts to be able to free up the cap room to be able to sign players. You saw the Bills do it with Quentin Jefferson last year. So if the Bills are just okay with Darrell Williams, they might come to him, say, hey, what about a restructure? They might come to him and say, hey, we'd like to go in a different direction. They might do the same thing with John Feliciano. They can absolutely do those things. They could go to the bank of an already established player, the way the Titans went to the Bank of Tannehill. You saw them do it with Deion Dawkins this past offseason. You've got Trey White contract. You've got other contracts you can look at. I haven't looked at them specifically to figure out who the best restructured candidates are, and I probably will this offseason. But if you need to afford him, that's probably how you do it. The second question you asked was, what's the backup plan if not Edmonds? Well, Edmonds is under contract for 2022. Already they picked up his fifth year option. So there isn't another plan for 2022 because Tremaine Emmons is going to be the starting linebacker inside for this team, barring something catastrophic in 2022. So any plan that you made would start in 2023 and the world could look completely different by then. So I think the first thing is we figure out if they're going to extend him and then if they don't extend him when the draft rolls around, then we can start talking about, okay, Are you trying to plan for his departure? Are you going to let him walk? Then that could be part of the plan for me. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did all the things. I hope this has been a fun week for you. It's been a fun week for me when it comes to Buffalo Bills and NFL football chat on the interwebs because the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I've already gone through all the reasons why that was fun. But I hope you had fun listening to this podcast. And if you didn't, Really sorry, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Ruffles.